Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Today, we come to the end of the Bible book that we have been proceeding through ever since February of this year. And what Bible book is that? The book of James. James. We teachers really love that, don't we? It might have taken 40 weeks. But we all know what book of the Bible we're in. So that's an accomplishment. I won't ask you any more questions about it. But we're at our final two verses of the book today. Let's pray and just ask God to to just squeeze one more significant message out of this book. Heavenly Father, we, we have been amazed by James from the very beginning. He was not an apostle like Paul. He was a brother of the Lord Jesus. He grew up with your son in his human condition. He doubted him like so many others did. And then he came to thoroughly believe in him. He saw the resurrected Christ. Christ appeared to him specially on that very first Sunday. He became a changed man. A useful man, a godly man, a man used to communicate the very truth of God to a scattered church and to us today. Father, today we look at the last two verses of this letter he wrote, written by the power of the Spirit, written with the compassion of a pastor, written with a concern for the the health and and goodness of the church of Christ. Father, help us to gain from these last two verses things that will stick with us and will bring us closer into an understanding of this glorious thing we're part of. For we ask you this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So today... As I've mentioned, we come to the final passage in James' letter to that scattered congregation of what was once a massive Jerusalem church. So many concerns James has touched upon. So many words of counsel and instruction he has shared. Now, next week, we're going to seek to wrap the whole thing up. But today, we finish it up. We look at the words he saved for last. Have you ever been visiting, you know, with family? Had a great visit, wonderful visit, comfortable visit, joyful visit. Maybe it's with your parents. And then just as you're heading out the door, they say, "Uh, one more thing. You're thinking, oh, it's been so good. One more thing. Before you go, I want to be sure I say, well, this is kind of James here. Before you go, there's something I want you to say. There's one final topic that unfortunately must be mentioned. One more life circumstance that a maturing saint must be willing to handle. Here then is James' concluding words to his congregation, the last two verses. It's not a glorious benediction. It does depict depict a wonderful outcome, but not without revealing a heart-testing and heart-breaking reality. So here it is. Here's the two verses. Today's key scripture. Follow along as I read here, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. He says, my brothers, 
If one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him, that is, you back, remember this. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him, will save his soul from death, and will cover over a multitude of sins. Now, within the context of this whole letter, we know that here, too, James is referring to believers. He's writing to the the precious members of his congregation, and he says, if one of you wander from the truth. And so when he says, whoever turns a sinner, he's really talking about a sinning believer. Now, I know it's hard for you to believe there are some. But he's talking about a sinning believer. And really, James was intending those final words to provide a powerful motivation to the most mature among his readers. First of all, he's saying that they should recognize a possibility. That is the possibility of a heart-breaking reality. A most terrible thing. They should be, and any one of us who is seeking to become more mature in Christ, any of us who've gathered together a bit of maturity and a bit of understanding and a bit of familiarity with walking with the Spirit, and, and you might say, I'm, uh, I'm not the man or the woman that I once was. God's been working in me and through me, and he's bringing me along this path of perfection that we called this whole sermon series. And if that's some of us today, if that's all of us as far as what we desire to be, James is saying, get ready for this. A mature believer can handle this better than a baby Christian. And here it is. We need to be prepared for the fact that someday, someone that we know and love, maybe even this day, has wandered from the truth of Christ. That's a heartbreak to realize that about someone, let alone just as a general concept. Someone we know and love, very likely, if not now or in the past, in the future, someone that you know and love, a believer in Christ. Someone has wandered from the truth of Christ. However, James is also saying that the wanderer can be brought back to faith and fellowship. And that's a wonderful thing. You think of the parables of Jesus, the joy of the father when the prodigal son made it back home, came to his senses. The joy of the woman who found her lost coin. All the coins were hers, but one got lost. She wasn't getting richer, she was just rediscovering what really was hers. The father rejoices to rediscover one that is already his, but has wandered off. James says both things. It can happen. It's a wonderful thing when they're brought back. And so this morning, out of this scripture that we read, I'd share with you four key observations that I think arise out of this passage. Four observations that might help us establish a framework within which James' words can be applied. So here we go. Here's the first one. Wandering from the truth is a real possibility. That's probably not a surprise. Wandering from the truth is a real possibility, even a probability. And why is that? See, if we're dealing with a wanderer, if we find ourselves at times in the position of a wanderer, it helps to know why that happens. Why does anyone wander from their faith in Christ? 
Why might any of us find ourselves wandering around rather than remaining firmly planted in the truth of the Scriptures? Well, there's three answers to that question. And frequently they all work together. But first off, we wander because of the flesh that is attached to us. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul says this, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. The sinful nature, the human nature, the fallen human nature, is a fact, is a reality. Before we are born again, that's all we are. We're a living, breathing, functioning human nature. A living creature with a human nature. Everything we do is dictated by that. And then, when you come to faith in Christ, when when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I really believed that he had died for me on Calvary and paid the price for the sins that I were piling up regularly, and I ask God to forgive me for those sins, and I claim Christ as my Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit himself put a new something in me, a new life, a new nature. And God, who is profoundly wise, made a decision that day. Now, on the days that I think I'm smarter than God, I'd say, I would have done this differently. God made a decision that day. He said to the Holy Spirit, we're putting a brand new life in Mark Michaels. He's going to be born again, not of water, not of flesh, but of the Spirit. We're going to put a new life in him. But we're not going to take the old one out. Not going to take the old one out. He's still, you know, going to be a human being. We're not going to turn him into an angel. And my mom would say, no doubt about that. (laughs) But we're going to put something new in him. One, we're going to forgive him for all the sins that that old nature has led him into. And that old nature is going to still try to lead him into sins continually. But we're going to forgive him for that because we love him. And Jesus, you agreed to take the horrible judgment of sin upon yourself for him. And that allows us to bring new life to him. But the flesh, that old human nature will still be attached to him because he's not going to stop being human just because he got saved. Someday in heaven, he'll be a gloriously changed glorified human being. But not yet. Because that's the nature of working out his salvation and working out just the the testimony that he someday might share. And, And so it's going to be there. And Paul says, it is. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. You see, the truth of it is my old nature resists that surrender to Christ that I made. The very night I heard the gospel message, the night that anybody hears the gospel message, and somebody says, come to Christ, come to Christ, give your life to Christ. Our old nature says, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You don't know what that means. It means someone else is going to be running your life, not you. And the human nature would say, and not me. I'm the one that wants to run your life. And so my old human nature resists surrender to Christ, resists his call upon my life, even after I make a commitment to Christ, even after I have that new life planted in me by the Spirit sent by Christ. My old nature is never converted. Say that to yourself. My old nature is not never converted. It's not one whit better than the day it was when I got saved. It hasn't learned anything. It hasn't surrendered anything. 
It hasn't become more lovable, more likable. It hasn't become more godly. It hasn't changed at all. In fact, the more that my new life emerges in me, the more ugly it actually appears to me. It remains rebellious against the truth of God until the day I die. But it's part of me. It's the most natural part of me. And if I am not careful, it can still seem like the truest and best part of me. It can cause me to wander away from the truth, even as it's telling me I'm walking in a good direction. Because that's the old nature. And it's attached to me. Every believer has the old nature still there. And because of that, they can wander from the truth because of its influence. Secondly, I mean, having the flesh and knowing about that is bad enough. But here's a second reason that we believers can sometimes wind up wandering from the truth. And that's because of the world system that surrounds us. The flesh is right within us, but the world system surrounds us. Paul says in Romans 12 too, now, now don't be conformed any longer to the world, to the pattern of this fallen world, this anti-God world. But when you're born in it, when it's all you know, it can seem as familiar and right as the flesh seems familiar and right. The way the people of the world think can seem like normal ways of thinking. That's the way everybody thinks. So biblically speaking, the world is a system of thought and a pattern of behaving that is absolutely contrary to the truths of God. Now let me say something here. I hope it can kind of dawn on you and sink into you and you say, you know, Pastor Mark, that's right. This country, the United States of America, has for most of its history provided a wall of protection against such worldly thinking and behaving. But it is doing so no longer. Christians are living under a government and within a society today that has more and more wandered from the truths and the standards of God's world. Children are taught to believe ungodly lies regarding the origin and the purpose of man, even the identity of man. Children are encouraged to accept ungodly behaviors and perspectives as completely normal and natural. Our country, our school system, used to be a big barrier against that kind of stuff. Our government used to stand as a barrier against pagan actions of the world as opposed to godly moral actions. Not any longer. We don't officially, legally, constitutionally stand against anything because the unbelievers have finally discovered that they and their own independent spirit is really at the heart of our constitution. Liberty and freedom to do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, and as long as there's enough of you, you can actually pass legislation for almost whatever you want. For most of our life, it hasn't been there. Most of my life, it hasn't been like that. But today it is. So we're living more exposed to the world system than we ever had before. And it's impacting the very youngest ones of our, of our community like it never has before. And is it any wonder that Christians can slip right into that and, and kind of go along with it? Because it seems uh, normal, natural. It's the way things are now. And so many professing Christian adults have wandered into such error themselves. 
the world around them has led them from the truth. And then, of course, there's a third reason believers can wind up wandering from the truth, and that's because of the devil himself. The devil who is determined to destroy us. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. We know, reading the Gospels, that the devil sought to derail Jesus with his temptations and even try to get Jesus to lay aside the will and the ways of the Father. Satan did deceive and nearly derail Peter himself. There's a spirit of deception in our land today, a spirit that's causing people to believe the most outrageously wrong things. Oh, it takes a great deceiver to pass along such a spirit of deception that you would say, how can any normal, natural, intelligent, logical person come to that conclusion? Well, deceived people can come to all kinds of conclusions because they're deceived. And Christians are targets for the devil himself. Christians by the thousands are walking into the darkness with their eyes wide open. They're deceived. They're deceived. Churches spring up that even have at the heart of it beliefs and standards that are absolutely ungodly. And their seats are full. So see, in our day and age, in this formerly Christian nation, professing believers wandering from the truth is not only a real possibility, it's even a probability. So here's now the second observation that arises from these final words of James. Wandering from the truth We're saying in the world we're living in with the the conditions of the flesh, the world, the devil, all of these things operating upon the believer. We're saying that, that when they wander away, when it's likely that somewhere along the line they 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 will choose to check out, to test out to get involved in things that others who have perhaps wandered away before them are now urging them to go. James says, wandering from the truth inevitably leads to sin. Well, of course it does. And it leads to the soul sickness that comes from sin. There are just no free passes in this world. We don't get to pursue the desires of the flesh or embrace the thinking of the world, or allow the devil to catch us up in his deceptions and have no ill effects. And that's because, as we say here, wandering from the truth squelches the Spirit's voice and puts us once again on our own, free to do whatever comes into our minds. John says, John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus was speaking, he said, He, the Father, will give you another companion, one who will be with you just as much as I, Jesus, have been with you all these years. And that companion will lead you. He will be the spirit of truth. but he can be squelched. We're told, don't grieve the spirit. You grieve him long enough. You disobey his voice long enough. You live sinfully right in front of him long enough. And after a while, his, his voice is just weaker and weaker and weaker because what you're interested 
in is nothing like what he's talking about. And so Paul says, we can actually just put out his fire. That, that flaming fire that descended upon the earth on the day of Pentecost, you say, man, that is the power of the Holy Spirit to change people, to control people, to enable people. And Paul says, don't put out that fire. Well, he would never say don't put out that fire unless that fire can be put out. And so we say here, don't squelch him. Don't quench him. You see, that reality that we can squelch the spirit leads to more genuine sickness in our lives than does any virus or bacteria. The Spirit of God, Numa himself, given to us at our spiritual birth, is our sole source of spiritual health and wholeness. We squelch him, and spiritual health is, is threatened, and eventually is just gone. And when spiritual health is gone, only spiritual disease is left. Sickness of soul. The Spirit is the one who helps us stifle the urges of the flesh, He is the one who opens our eyes to the ugliness and the ungodliness of the world around us. He is the one who is greater and more powerful than the devil who would seek to destroy us. But he can be put on the bench. He can be squelched. He can be tuned out. He can be made ineffective. He can be resisted just like the Creator Father was resisted in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided they would not follow his guidelines but would carve out their their own lifestyle. He can be resisted just like Jesus was by the leaders of his day. And any believer who would do that is left in a mess. Such a believer winds up sick of soul and mired down in sin. Jesus once said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, Jesus is, James, excuse me, is saying that when you wander from the truth, you wind up right back in a terrible bondage to sin and sorrow. That's horrible stuff. Probably there's some people reading James' letter way back in the first century who said, I'm sure, I'm sure glad he didn't start with that. But boy, this is saying, folks, this is the world around you. This is what those in your number who know and love and have committed their lives to Christ are still susceptible to. And the younger they are in the Lord the more they're susceptible. The less they know about God's principles, the easier it is to have somebody else tell them what the principles of this world are and how life really functions and what people really are like and what choices you can make about your life and yourself. The younger they are, the less informed they are, the less truth that is in them other than the fact that Jesus died for them on Calvary, the more vulnerable they are. And they can be led away from the rest of the truth, and the rest of that truth is what keeps them firm, like we sang, Jesus won't let go of me. Well, here's the deal. It's through his word that he keeps a hold of us. It's through the truth of God that the Father is watching over us and and guiding us and the Spirit can work within us. Without the truth, there's, there's nothing that Father, Son, and Spirit have to work with. And believers who know this much truth, that God loves me and Jesus died for me and I ask God to forgive me for my sins because I know Jesus paid the price for him on the cross. Know that much truth. That's really not enough to keep you and head you down the path of true godly, God-pleasing living. 
And you can hear other truths that you say, well, that doesn't seem right. I don't know why Christians believe that. I disagree with that in the Bible. I'm not going to guard my life or protect myself or keep myself from doing this or doing that. Those are the very things that I think are going to bring pleasure to me. That kind of truth. <laughs> I'm not just going to walk away from it. I've never been part of it. I don't even agree with it. See, and those things, those things, James says, sickness come. Spiritual sickness. The truth will set us free from all the horrors of this spiritual battle that we're part of, but we walk away from the truth and there's nothing setting us free from that. In fact, we're being caught up in it all over again. We just happen to be, miser- happen to be saved miserable people. Well, here's the third thing. Let's keep going on. Maybe we'll get some good stuff later. Observation three. It's still drawing a conclusion here. Death is the ultimate destination for the wanderer. Death of soul, death of body. Because you see, every step away from spirit-produced, spirit-giving truth is a step in the direction of death and disaster. Paul told us in Romans 6, 36, and you probably never thought about it this way before, he said, you know, the gift of God is eternal life, The wages of sin is death, is how that verse started. But the gift of God's eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Do you realize every time we sin, something dies? We read that verse and we just see capital H, capital E, capital L, capital L. The wages of sin is hell. But that's ultimately... That's the final destination for those who are are sinful and have not come into any forgiving relationship with God. But the point of it is every sin has a price tag. Every sin leads to the death of something, something good, something godly, something soul-satisfying, something that just causes God to smile upon our lives. The wages of sin is death. Sin leads to disasters of many kinds. And there have been, oh, so many Christians who have discovered that walking in sin can lead to a hell on earth, especially for those who should know better. The believer who wanders from the truth never arrives at a place of peace and joy. For true peace and joy only come from the very one from whom this wanderer has wandered. However, believers can be most stubborn. Stubbornly resistant to the truth they once professed. And yet the truth remains. And their reborn spirit is still attracted to it. The spirit of truth still companions them even when they refuse to acknowledge him. And that sets up some marvelous possibilities. You see, the spirit God given to the believer never leaves him, never forsakes him. The spirit given to him grieves for him and along with him. The spirit... As the very Spirit of Christ says, I would take this upon myself if I could. And so does the believer who is weeping for the wanderer. These are sad and agonizing observations upon a life situation that can beset some who are truly born again. And by the way, it really doesn't matter to try to solve that long-answered or long-asked question, well, are they really saved? The question is, are they miserable or not? If you're miserable, you're not living like a saved person. It doesn't matter what's on God's record. 
That's in heaven and someday will be revealed. We're living in this world. And God does not desire that his children or any human being just live in bondage to sin and all the misery it brings. And a miserable Christian looks an awful much like a miserable non-Christian. And the spirit, the only difference is the spirit is with the believer and the spirit has a chance with that believer and the truth of God has a chance with that believer because there's a part of that believer that's committed to it all. There's a part of that believer that actually is a, a spiritual part. And so you appeal. You appeal. And you hope that that reborn part of that person can be the truth can penetrate them and like the prodigal son when he came to his senses. Whatever the condition is of the one you love and it might be one that you truly believe is a child of God and you might have good reason to believe they're children of God and they might well be children of God. But whatever the condition is for this one that, that your heart is being grieved by is to say, oh, give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. He has a life for you that is so different, so better, so extraordinarily better than what you're living. Give your life to Christ. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He's come that his own Holy Spirit might produce in us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, all those things. The unbelievers know nothing about that kind of life. The rebellious believer knows nothing about that kind of life. We're not here to judge which side of the scale they're on because we have no means of making that judgment. But we can make an appeal according to the truth of God. And to say God loves you, whatever your condition is, God loves you. Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. Give your life to Christ and let him take charge of it by his Holy Spirit. Now I believe, even though these are sad and agonizing realities, that some of us have experienced more than others, I know. I know. But it was necessary for James, and I think it's necessary for me today, to identify this circumstance lest any of the Church of Jesus Christ, any of James' congregation, be completely blown away when this wandering happens to someone that they truly know and love, have perhaps even respected and looked up to. You say, how could that happen? How can a minister fall like that? How can my best friend just walk away like that? How can my my whoever it might be that I have identified with Christ and with the church and with the Spirit of God, how can it ever happen? Well, we need to know how it happens. The wonderful thing is, even sometimes the surprising thing is, that it doesn't happen more than it does. But we need to know, lest it happen to us, how it happens. And then when it happens to someone else, obviously, to pursue them. To pursue them. Here's the last observation I share with you this morning. Number four, restoring a wanderer. Just say that in your mind again. Restoring a wanderer. That means there is such a such a happening in life that can have that title. There's an activity in life that can have that description, restoring a wanderer. James says, is a marvelous achievement. It's a marvelous thing. Think of all the parables of Jesus when someone's been found, when the sheep's been found, the, the celebration, the because lots of times the sheep aren't found. 
right? Lots of times the coin that's lost isn't discovered. And what it is, it's a marvelous thing. It's a cause for rejoicing. Wandering doesn't necessarily become a permanent condition. Amen? Don't raise your hand. Is there anybody in this room, though, that at one time had wandered away? And here you are. It wasn't a permanent condition. Have you seen others come back to the faith? Sometimes it's only about two or three steps into the wrong direction, and they, you grab them pretty quickly, and somebody has brought them back. You say, God is good, and the person has a testimony. You know, God just wouldn't let me go. Then there's others who can say, boy, I felt like God had just washed his hands of me. It was years. I despise this. And, and yet, here they are. Here they are back. Wandering doesn't necessarily become a permanent condition. Wanderers can come back to the truth. Wanderers can be brought back. That's what James talks about here. If anyone brings back. Let me share with you what I'd, I'd consider kind of to be an epiphany moment in my life. It was just about 30 years ago. Sun Life Church hadn't come into being. But some of the notions about Sun Life Church had begun to percolate in my mind as being biblical ways of perhaps organizing and a church and relating Christians together. And, and in that time, I was attending a cell group conference along with another man from our area here. We had driven up to this place and this conference was taking place at one of the largest cell group churches in America. At that time, this church had 600 cell groups. Well, that adds up to six, seven, eight thousand people in their congregation, about 10 people in each group. 600 cell groups. I'd read a book that their pastor had written, and this conference was there, and it's like, let's, let's go check this out. I mean, what, uh, is this just an organizational strategy, a way to organize the church, and, and maybe you grow the church this way? Or what are they really doing through these groups? And during the several days of that conference, there came a night where all of us were allowed to attend a cell group meeting. And this other fellow and me, we went to this house that had about uh, eight or nine people in it, right in the living room in a, in a circle, their cell group meeting. They allowed us to just come as long as we kept our mouths shut and would just sit there and watch. Most of the people in that group were middle-aged or older. But there was one younger woman, probably in her late 20s or maybe early 30s, who who shared in the meeting as they were telling us about their cell group and how it functioned and what it meant to them and how it fit into their spiritual life. And, and as they were sharing, this young lady shared that she had been in the group previously and then she got attracted by things in the world and she dropped out for a time. But she was there that night and she was talking. And so I asked her, when we got a chance to ask some questions, I asked her, what brought you back? I mean, people drop out of church all the time and just disappear. What brought you back? And she said, with a big smile on her face, as she looked around at what we could call her cell mates, <laughs> and she said, they just wouldn't let me go. They just wouldn't get let go. Migo. You see, she was a restored wanderer. It was a marvelous achievement for that group of Christian women. It's marvelous whenever it happens. Because when it happens, soul sickness is avoided. Soul health is reinstituted. James says, anyone who will bring one back, James chapter 2, the first part of verse 20, he says, will save his soul, that wanderer's soul, from death, 
from disability, from sickness, from all the things that, that sin just brings about in the life, especially of a believer. How good is that? We'll save his soul from death. You bring him back. And then an entire host of sins and their debilitating effects are mitigated. James says, and, and it will cover a multitude of sins. He'll just cover a multitude of sins. That's an amazing statement. You know, I robbed a bank 10 years ago. I've come back to Christ. <laughs> I'm restored. Does that just cover that over? I mean, we'll never have to admit it, do we? No, James is just saying, you know, there's a big sin that usually is all entangled with all kinds of other thoughts and feelings. And maybe this person who wandered away, even when she or he was last at the group and wandered around, maybe she or he said some pretty nasty things to those people. Maybe he said some things that just hurt them deeply. I don't believe any of this baloney anymore. No matter, a lot of things probably were in the past of both the wanderer and the one who had gone after him or her and brought them back. And I believe it's talking about that. This person is saved from any further death, any further difficulty. They're brought back to spiritual wholeness and a whole bunch of other stuff just gets forgotten because she's home. She's home. She's back. She's here. It's almost like she's been redeemed all over again, and who cares that she said some nasty stuff to us when they left? Because this one who brings them back is a mature believer. He's a believer who can just let that roll right off and let that memory just vanish away just the way God forgets our sins and remembers them no more. And James says in this kind of a action of a mature person within the fellowship of Christ, there's just healing that, that you can't imagine. And the focus is upon the relationship we have in Christ by his spirit, and some of these behaviors are, ah, forget about that. You don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to make up for that. Just forget it. You're here. You're here. Oh, what a blessing is that. Well, here's just one final thing, just to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing here. Handling the wanderer, our final thought says, must be done in the context, of course, of truth. Truth. It's God's truth that we're bringing them back to. It's God's truth through which the Spirit is uh, urging them to come and, and just touching their heart. It's not just like, hey, doesn't make any difference what you believe. What? No, it really makes a difference. There's God's truth and there's error. And so we, it's because of our commitment to the truth, the very thing that they have walked away from, that we have a word and a way to invite them back. They can tell what they're experiencing out there is, is not at all good and wholesome, and so we remind them there's a truth of God. There's a way of living that pleases God. There's a way of living that just builds into you grace and peace and joy and goodness, and oh, I want that for you. Just give yourself completely to Christ and attach yourself to his spirit every day. That's what we say to such a person. That's what God wants for every one of us. There, there may be any number of us in this room in one way or another who's kind of wandered away a little bit, and God would be the one bringing us back. God would be the one directly intervening in your life today, maybe through the words I'm saying, that he would say, just return. There are truths that you've forgotten. You've forgotten how much I love you. You have forgotten how much your sin grieves me. You have forgotten 
how being so cavalier in this world is, is just allowing things to come in and influence you that are, that are just not helping you at all. Come back. Come back to where, where the blessing can be found. Heavenly Father, perhaps we can all sense the urgency, the deep feeling in James' heart when he wrote those final words. They're hard words to just be the very end to say, and by the way, there are people who get caught up in situations like this. I'm telling you, they they can be brought back. I'm urging you to go after them with, with prayer and with love. Not with judgment and condemnation, but with truth. And Father, any here today, if we've wandered either even a half a step off the path, maybe there's some here today who, who in the past or maybe right now have, have taken giant steps off that path. And they've discovered life is not good where they are. And they need to come back. They need to repent. They need to say, Father, I give my life to you. I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I hear his call upon me. And Father, I will resolve to keep in step with your Holy Spirit and believe that he is God with me every moment. And I will trust him. I will trust him and obey him. Father, we ask for that now, praying in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.